This is the Future of HR podcast, episode 39. We know about mentors, we know about coaches, we know about sponsors, but I also think you have to surround yourself with truth tellers. Uh, They will tell you what's going on in these organizations. We get such sanitized information as it comes up that sometimes you need to know what really is on people's mind. And so I think I've been a truth teller throughout my career, telling people what they need to hear and not what they want to hear. And sometimes I think that can distinguish us as great HR leaders. Why do the best leaders seek out and demand to be surrounded by truth tellers? Hi, I'm your host, JP Elliott. And this is the Future of HR podcast, the only podcast whose mission is to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. On each episode, I interview successful HR executives and thought leaders who are reimagining, rethinking, and leading our field into the future. During our candid conversations, you will learn about their career journeys, their lessons learned along the way, and their insights on how to take our field, and most importantly, your career to the next level. Well, if you've been listening to the podcast over the past few weeks, then you know I'm pretty excited about Mark Efron's Future of HR workshop, which is coming to Boston on September 19th. What makes this a workshop and not a conference is the fact that seven world-class CHROs will be leading highly interactive conversations with 100 HR leaders that will be in attendance. These workshops are a chance to learn from the best, debate ideas, and tackle the big challenges facing our field. Tickets are going fast for the event, so be sure to visit Future of HR 2023. That's futureofhr2023.com before the event is sold out. And this week, we're lucky to have another one of those world-class CHROs as a guest on the podcast. My guest this week is Ola Snow, CHRO of Cardinal Health, which is an incredible organization with just under $200 billion in revenue. Cardinal Health is number 15 on the Fortune 500 list and has over 46,000 mission-driven partners striving each day to advance healthcare and improve lives. Ola is not only an impressive CHRO, she's also an impressive business leader and has oversight for community relations, communications, environmental health and safety, security, real estate, facilities, and the aviation organizations. Since joining Cardinal Health in 2001, Ola has steadily risen up the organization leading more than 25 mergers and acquisitions during that time. Since joining Cardinal Health in 2001, Ola has steadily risen up the organization, led more than 25 mergers and acquisitions, and held HR leadership roles in a majority of Cardinal's business units. I know you'll get a lot out of this conversation with Ola as we discuss her journey from regional HR director to becoming the CHRO of Cardinal Health, why she believes it's important to tell leaders what they need to hear, not what they want to hear, why she believes being an authentic leader is the secret to building trust, why you can't just rely on engagement surveys to understand your employees' experiences, and why she believes the future of HR is all about simplification and much more. Hola, how are you? Welcome to the Future of HR podcast. Thank you, JP. I am super honored, super excited to be with you today. I want to start the conversation talking a little bit about your career. You joined Cardinal Health in 2001 as a regional director in HR, I believe in West Virginia, but you can correct me if I got that wrong. Did you ever imagine that you would someday become the CHRO of Cardinal Health? 
Yeah, why or it's why funny not? you ask that. The, the The easy answer is probably no, not when I joined the organization. In fact, the first week I started in Wheeling, there was an issue that came up and, and someone said, we're going to go talk. We're going to go call Carol Watkins, who was the CHRO at the time. And I was like, I don't know who that is. Obviously learned Carol and know her very well and mentor me today. But there, there was this point in my journey in HR that I decided that I wanted to lead the function. And I knew that it was something I was passionate about and something that was still going to be a journey for me, a personal learning growth as well as professional. But there was a point in time that I thought, huh, can I do this? And fortunate for me, I've had great, great opportunities at Cardinal, maybe a little unique that I've been there as long as I have and grown up in the organization. But what a tremendous journey it's been doing all sorts of things that I think have really helped me and the organization as I think about leading this function, as well as a lot of functions that I lead alongside HR. If you can, oh, I'd love to go back and talk a little about that moment when you decided, gosh, I think I can lead the function. Because I think a lot of us say, well, I'm a regional HR director. You don't always imagine you're going to become a CHRO for such a big organization. So what happened that you said, you know what, I think I can do this. I want to do this. Let's go you know, for it. I think it was just the, the my opportunity to work so closely with business leaders and the influence that I saw myself having on not just coaching business leaders, but actually business results. And so I dug in there to really learn the business, understand whether it was a distribution center or a segment or a business unit on how the organization made money, what our customers needed. And I could see that uh, a strategic HR voice really did impact both culture, but also business results. And so there was this time as a business partner that I supported our, uh, some of what we call our operating committees. So business unit leaders and just the most, more exposure that I got to senior leadership and seeing how I could influence and inspire followership, it gave me the bug to want to do more. It's a great story. And for the 22 years or so you've been at Cardinal Health, you did have lots of different experiences, which is tremendous. Looking back, probably really helped you grow. Were there one or two roles that you felt like were instrumental in to shifting to more of kind of enterprise or CHRO mentality? Sure. And I grew up... um, you know, call it a business partner, call it a generalist. And I love the business, whether it's walking a uh, distribution or manufacturing floor, whether it's sitting beside a business leader, I absolutely loved it. What I'll tell you probably the most instrumental experience job that I had was leading our centers of excellence and specifically been somewhat thrown into the boardroom with the compensation committee. And I am no executive compensation guru, but I did have a manager, boss, mentor, all of those things that knew that this was the experience that I needed. And I had a great executive comp partner who is still my executive comp partner in that comp committee today. Um, And it was pivotal around learning board of directors, learning how to influence them, learning how to take them on a journey on what the organization is doing from culture, performance management, name it, all the things that make up that that comp committee agenda and charter, which is important. But 
I, I've loved all of my roles, but I would say my time in being number two in a compensation committee with a great CHRO and a great, a great compensation, executive compensation partner probably was the pivotal point where I think the organization and myself knew that I could really do that role. The average employee in the U.S. changes jobs on average every 4.2 years, yet you've been with Cardinal Health for 22 years. What do you say to people who believe that you have to change companies to get ahead in your career? I don't think people's careers are necessarily a straight line, right? And I wouldn't tell you in 2001 that I would have predicted that I would be here in 2023 with the same organization. But I think that you have to look for those opportunities that help you continuously grow. And I'm fortunate enough that I found those within one organization. Now, our organization is a pretty complex organization. So I could make an argument that I've worked for about 10 or 12 healthcare organizations within one organization. I've been a business partner for our lab organization, ambulatory care, pharmaceutical distribution. The list kind of goes on. And all every single one of those roles had different customers, different value prop different P&Ls, different different strategies. So for me, I was quite frankly a little spoiled that I got to work in really different type businesses, but stay under one umbrella with one very strong culture and commitment to their employees. I think you have to find places where you can thrive and that's okay to be inside of an organization or leave, but I, I don't think there's one right answer if that makes sense. No, there's definitely not a right answer, but yet sometimes maybe going laterally, staying at a company, learning more about the business, building those relationships. Sometimes you can come back and get a big promotion that might be two-level jump because you know the business better than somebody externally. And I think I always encourage people to think about that differently. I, I can tell you that I probably had three or four different director jobs, probably seven or eight vice president jobs. Not because businesses were were kicking me out, maybe not that many, but a lot. And so I also, you know, same thing that you just said, JP, is you know, I call it broadening your pedestal. Broaden that pedestal so that you understand the business. You're gonna learn something from every business, every leader that you that you support. And I just find an organization with the ability to grow. And if you you can't do that, then then you should look outside of an organization. I've just been fortunate enough to to have a voice and to continuously be able to listen and learn and grow and hopefully help the organization grow as well. Well, as a leader, you really pride yourself on being a truth teller and surrounding yourself with truth tellers. Why is it so important to you and how has it helped your career and what does it mean to be a truth teller? We know about mentors, we know about coaches, we know about sponsors, but I also think you have to surround yourself with truth tellers. That's a group of people that will help you both professionally and personally around. Uh, They will tell you what's going on in these organizations. We get such sanitized information as it comes up, in my case, to the fourth floor where I sit, that sometimes you need to know what really is on people's mind. And so I think I've been a truth teller throughout my career, telling people what they need to hear and not what they want to hear. And sometimes I think that can distinguish us as great HR leaders, but somebody to have courage to go, here's what's really going on. 
And so they also will help you personally. I have truth tellers that will say, you know, that didn't resonate very well with our workforce. And here's what people are really saying, Olas. You know, take COVID, take hybrid, take culture in general. So making sure that you're getting that two-way feedback on, I go out and I ask, tell me how that message landed, whether it's mine, our CEOs, our executive team, how that land with people. And I am fortunate enough to have a group of people who trust me and that can say, that went really great. That didn't go so good. Here's are the elephants in the room or what people really want to know. And I think that makes us really relevant that we can listen to people, understand what's really on the minds of our leaders and employees so that so that they know that the questions that we're asking are, are genuine ones and are coming from an authentic place. Are there any tips on how HR leaders or business leaders can get more truth tellers in their orbit? And you really encourage people to do that because it's one thing to say, I want to know what's going on, tell me. Then for someone to have the courage and trust to really say, okay, here's what I really think. And I'm not going to be penalized for well, it. Well, you called it you called it trust. And so I've said to many a leader, like, hey, dude, you can't give me up, right? Like I'm giving you some really great advice and telling you what's going on. But like you've got to be able to take that and hold that information. Um, and again, we're talking about not confidential information or information that we would need to bring to the forefront, but just good coaching. So I think it's about building trust. I also think people will give you the, their thoughts when they know that you're going to you're going to take that and do something with it or not do something with it. But people understand that you're building that up, you know. I have the advantage of being in this organization for a really long time and building those trusting relationships with people. And so keeping your word and making sure that you keep that conversation as confidential as you absolutely can, but making sure that people feel safe, that they can both share with you, but they are helping the organization. I once was asked, how do you build trust with people so easily? Just people trust you. And I just, I think it's just being totally authentic. I mean, my organization kind of knows the the good, the bad, and the ugly even about me and being that authentic leader and being able to share lots of things, both personally, but, you know, in a large setting too, I think builds trust that people know that what they can share with me or what I say to them is coming from a genuine place. Might not be what they want to hear, but they understand then I'm going to explain that the decisions that we make. And I think that's just building up credibility with people one by one, but with your workforce as well. What about having a listening strategy? So obviously you talked about listening and hearing you know, the truth. You believe it's one of the keys to create a great culture. Can you tell us more about why you feel this way and why listening strategies are so important at Cardinal Health? Our listening strategies certainly have our surveys and pulse surveys and lots of ways to gather data and metrics in our organization. We just completed our 2023 survey and had incredible participation. And I think that's because our employees know that their voice matters and that we're going to listen to them and do something about it. So that's the data part of our listening strategy. And we do it throughout the life cycle, just like many organizations do. 
What I think is maybe special about our listing strategy is that we couple it with lots of ways to go out and truly sit down and listen to employees. And so that means that I have an organizational health team, that a business partner teams that knows how to go out and facilitate true listening sessions just to hear, literally hear what's on people's mind. And I, I had someone say this to me not too long ago was data's great, but if it doesn't feel like what's really happening in the organization, does that data really matter? And so for us, it's about good data, but it's also around what's the story behind that data? How are people really feeling? And so for us, we have we have executed that listening strategy for several years. It became so critically important during the pandemic when we knew that our employees were burnt out, had a thousand things that they were trying to juggle. And remember, we're trying to keep healthcare going in a really scary time in our organization, in our country. And, and we needed to do some things differently around mental health and just taking a pause when we can. And so those listening strategies where we just come out and say, we've had 25 focus groups and here's the changes that we're making based on some of the feedback that we're hearing. It's that two-way communication that builds trust with the organization. It's great insights for us. And you wouldn't believe how many times a leader says to me in a week, let's go have a focus group on this. Let's go hear what our employees what are they telling us about this? We're, we're doing it with hybrid work. You know, we're still trying to figure out exactly. We're not one of those organizations that have told people they have to come back to the office. We do focus on what we call moments that matter, where we are better together. But we know that flexibility is so important to our organization. And we're going out and saying, what is the next version of hybrid work and flexibility look like for us? I don't think we'll ever force people back to the office, but I do think we're listening to our employees of what, what they want, what our customers want. And so that listening strategy goes beyond surveys. And I would say it helps us really put the story around the data that we're hearing as well. Although what I think is really unique in that strategy is we can rely on a poll survey or an engagement survey, and that's a one-time event. But the focus groups makes your listening strategy a really living, breathing part of the culture. People know that you're honestly and actively looking for feedback throughout the year. And if you've got business leaders saying, hey, let's go to a focus group, then you've got leaders who are really tuned in to what matters for your caregivers. You know, and that's amazing. You talked about moments that matter. Talk more about how do you identify moments that matter? What does that mean for you and how you think about HR? When you think about kind of our hybrid, what we call our flex forward program, moments that matter become really centered to the organization. And they will be different, right? They will be different for my teams or specifically my teams. Um, that could be different. But there are times that we are are better together. And we've put together a list of what I would call suggested moments that matter, you know, onboarding an employee, solving complex customer issues or brainstorming sessions, bringing teams together where they can do work together, building relationships. So whether that's my one-on-ones with my direct reports, 
my my quarterly check-ins, which we call our time to talk, which is really about focusing on goals and career, or or quite frankly, my staff meetings. Once a month, my staff comes together because those are moments that matter that we're going to sit down for four or five hours and be together. Now, there's exceptions to the rule in any of those cases, but but for me, it is a necessary thing to help define some of those. But some of those may be a little bit different for teams. Our sales organizations are never going to come together for a staff meeting, right? That doesn't make any sense on a monthly basis. But for my team, making sure that we're beside our clients, making sure that we're having incremental learnings, there's just so much I think that's important. And it's not just what's good for the the organization or the business. It's what's good for that individual and leader as well. So much of my career was shaped around being able to be in the same room and building relationships with people, learning and watching body language, the conversation in the hallway after the meeting ended. And so some of those things we need to start talking about as well as of what are the benefits of those moments that matter that are more beneficial or as beneficial for employees as they are for the business as well. Well, it sounds like you've been very intentional and thoughtful as you're thinking about how you're bringing people together, but yet maintaining flexibility, which is hard to do because we're seeing a lot of companies that are really, really kind of seeing this as black and white, like you're in the office or you're not, you know, and it, there's a lot of mandates which I think really gets to compliance versus commitment, which is the big danger on yeah, those I just, things. I, but I love the moments that matter. I just saw a yeah. stat this week that companies that have mandated and mandated employees coming back to office in any form, right? Pick your day, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, only have 35% compliance. So think about that, right? And it will continue to change and evolve, I think, as this goes on. What as organizations, I think what we really need to solve is what does flexibility look like? Because I applaud our employees and leaders that don't want to give up going to a soccer game for their children that they didn't do before COVID. Um, you know, you used to check in for the day and you used to leave at the end of the day. Well, why, why not address that? I'm going to go to the soccer game, but I'm going to be online at seven o'clock or I'm going to go um, and spend the rest of my afternoon at home to get my Zoom calls done, not have to be in the office. So I think we're trying to maybe solve for some things that we really want. We should be talking about what does flexibility look like in a workplace, which I think would help solve some of the issues that you hear or that big tug of war that are going on between management and employees. I just think employees want flexibility. And I know our younger employees want to come back to the office to get that mentorship and leadership, but they want flexibility. And so um, still a work in progress, but I think as a HR organization, we probably need to help our leaders and our employees understand what we really all want is flexibility around the workplace, not necessarily rules around when you have to be here and when you don't. Yeah, and I would build on that. I think flexibility with the right expectations for performance because, of course, if you're a high performer and you, we know you're going to get your work done, I don't really mind if you go see your kid's soccer game or pick your kids up from school every day if I know the work always gets done and it's great quality. So, of course, you earn the flexibility. 
it's where you start to not trust your employees and believe they shouldn't be able to allow the flexibility because we need to make sure they're getting their work done. But you get the 35% compliance rate, which then puts HR in a really tough spot because now we're following up and saying, well, you're not coming to the office. You know, you sort of shift the entire conversation with employees. So I, I applaud how you're thinking about it. And I think where we end up, hopefully, I think progressive organizations really think about flexibility and, you know, looking in the team and saying, look, you're adults. We exactly. expect you to perform. And I do think it starts. Here's, here's the rules. Of the and work. I think it starts setting goals and objectives, right? You've got to set the right goals and objectives at the beginning of whatever your year looks like. And are you performing against those objectives? And, and honestly, how are you achieving those objectives, which for us looks like our values and behavior? So it, it comes together to say, do we have clear objectives? Do we have clear goals? Do I understand what those goals look like? And how am I achieving those goals? And then everything else just becomes not so important, meaning however you get that done is and meeting the objectives of your customers, I think it, it isn't as focused on, are you here from eight to five every day? One thing all you've done in your career, you've obviously been able to position HR as a business partner with your business leaders. How should HR be positioning themselves with the business to create the kind of value we're looking to create? How do you do that? What are your tips on making sure we are seen as a critical business partner and strategic and have the seat at the table and all those things we talk about? It's a great question, there? one that I kind of get asked and I get it gets asked to me in several forms, including like, why are you still here? And all of those those things along the way. And I always tell people, it's not that I have a seat at the table, it's what seat I have at the table. And that seat at the table, I view as a business leader first. And I happen to lead several functions, including HR. So I mentioned a couple of these things, but I'll tie them back in is, first and foremost, you have to understand the business. You have to understand how your organization makes money. You have to understand what are the challenges that your customers are facing and how as a business are we trying to deliver the best quality products and services to your customers. If you don't really understand that, I'm not sure that you can come to the table with your HR bag and just pull out all of your programs and practices. You have to understand both the needs of your customers um, and your business, as well as the needs of your employees. So that for me is first and foremost kind of entry to the game is to understand that business and what is needed over whatever time frame, one, three, five years of what success looks like. Because then I think you have to dig deep and understand what are the what are the roles, what are the capabilities that you need to accomplish all of those things. I think we have, forget sometimes as, as CHROs that we have one of and are responsible for human capital, which is probably the differentiator of every organization. What differentiates you in the marketplace? Our people. You know, that is kind of so cliche, but we are responsible for not only creating that culture where people can thrive along with their families, but also creating practices, performance management systems, sales incentive programs, the whole gamut where people can deliver on the commitments to their customers as well. So it is a it is a job that 
you know, throw on COVID, throw on diversity, equity, inclusion, and all of the other ESG priorities that we know that our shareholders and customers care about, it's, it is a complex position to say the least, but coming forward to work side by side for leaders to solve business issues should always be our goal and our first mission as we think about solving customer, employee, and business needs going forward. So true that, you know, you've got to come out from that business perspective. If you're just pushing sort of HR programs, it becomes very obvious when they're not connected to the business strategy. That yeah, is, I had a point in my true. career, and, and everybody will appreciate this. We were going through an HR transformation. It wasn't going so well, and we were having a lot of payroll issues. Every HR person loves payroll issues, right? <laughs> right. I've they're been there. Fun. They're not fun. So I remember walking into a room and sitting down beside a leader and saying, hey, I really think we need to do this. And he said, Ola, we just need to figure out how to pay people correctly. You go away and let's figure out how we pay my people correctly. And then let's come back and talk about what you want to talk about. And as harsh as that sounded, it is about hey, you got to get the fundamentals right, right? We've got to make sure that our employees are taken care of and that we pay them on time. We've done a great job with that over the last decade or so. So that one is not at the top of my list anymore, knock on wood. <laughs> but, but it is important as we think about not just delivering the fundamentals of, to your organization, but taking your organization to that next level of what is it going to be in the next five or 10 years and how do we help transform the business going forward if that's what the business needs as well? What is one action you'd recommend to HR leaders who wants their functions to be viewed as more strategic and less transactional or not transactional at all? What do you think one or two actions are that people should go out and try, Ola? You know, early on, I just used to go out with salespeople and meet our customers. Early in my career, I kept hiring the wrong salespeople, but I couldn't figure that out. And then I went and visited our customers and I realized what I was bringing them was not what they needed. So it's around learning that business. And again, like I don't, I don't get in many sales cars these days, but I do spend a lot of time with customers still understanding what they need um, from us. So I think it's just spending time with business leaders, learning their challenges and their opportunities and bringing those solutions. I'm telling you, the first time that you bring something that works to a leader, you have permission to keep that up. So I think it's a journey of listening and learning, but sitting side by side and feeling some of those business pains, I think is that first good step. I think also it's a great strategy to get out and to know the business, go on those sales calls. Not only would I think you learn more about what the business needs and the type of talent, but the credibility that you have with business leaders because you could say, oh, I've met that customer. I was on that route. They're just like, oh, wow, you went out and took the time to do that. Even if you know, just know a little bit, they give you a lot of credit for that. And I'm smiling because I still kind of am known as the five or six years that I spent in Wheeling, West Virginia. I spent time in the field. I'm just not that corporate person. You know, the other thing I think that is a big need to make that turn for strategic business partner is you have to find a way to make sure that the business 
gets what they need, not what they want. Those are two different things in many cases. And I think you have to help them understand this is really what the organization needs right now and how we're going to get there. It may not be exactly what you want right now, but helping them get there from A to B and being that strategic partner that just isn't an order taker, an order filler, but they're coming to you for that strategic vision. Well, the last question for you, what is one word or phrase that you believe will define the future of HR over the next five to 10 years? You know, probably five years ago, I think every HR person would say change, change management, right? That's so cliche these days. I think my word is simplification. I think organizations and customers are looking to do business with people that can make things simpler. I think about the employee experience, it goes hand in hand. And so I think as HR organizations, we can first look at ourselves and how simple are we to do business with. I will tell you, I've had a couple of moments in my career where I'm like, oh my gosh, this is way too hard. Luckily, I get to ask those questions sometimes. But also, how do we make things simpler to do business with as an organization with our customers? How do we make life and to do business with us as an employee as simple as possible? And I understand policies and programs are needed, but I think that we can help stop just doing work for the sake of work. I think if we step back in organizations, how much work is being done that isn't really value added? And what's the work that we really need to focus on, prioritize? And I think the first question always is to say, how can we make it more easy to do business with us, both internally and externally? So my word is simplification. I love it. Simplification making things easier, adding more value. Ola Snow, thank you so much for being on the Future of HR podcast. Terrific conversation. We learned a lot Thank today. you, JP. I'm looking forward to seeing you again and listening to your podcast as well. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Future of HR podcast. Thanks again to Ola for reminding us that great leaders seek out and demand to be surrounded by truth tellers. As always, you can go to futureofhr.com to view all of our past episodes and learn more about our mission to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. And if you enjoyed this episode of Future of HR, be sure to subscribe and share our podcast with at least one other person. This really helps us grow the podcast and helps with our mission of inspiring the next generation of HR leaders. We'll be back next week with Andre Martin, who has held key senior leadership advisory and board roles dedicated to employee engagement, and culture in some of the biggest consumer brands in the world, including Target, Nike, Google, Mars Incorporated, and Disney. We'll be discussing his new book, Wrong Fit, Right Fit. Why how we work matters more than ever and his mission to make work more meaningful and less like work. I really enjoyed Andre's fresh take on finding the right fit, and I know you will as well. Don't miss this conversation. It was a great one. Thanks again for listening to the Future of HR and being part of our community.